0: Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Petco Park in San Diego. Well, it's not a final yet. There's actually two outs in the top of the ninth inning with the Guardians down 5-0 and Josh Naylor up to bat. And uh, that's to show you where I'm at right now. It's after midnight in Cleveland, and I've got to start recording. I've got to start talking. So we're going to do the final out of this game live as Naylor's down in an 0-2 count and takes time against Hill, the lefty. As Naylor fights off another pitch, it looks like it's heading towards a rough loss for your Cleveland Guardians, unless there's some serious, serious two-out ninth-inning magic here. And, uh, man, I mean, San Diego really uh, is at a different level than we're at right now. Uh, Let's get into the storylines of this game. San Diego Padres go off for four solo home runs against us. Plus, you know what, another storyline in this game... I'm not happy with some of the decisions Terry Francona made in this game, especially in the seventh inning when the Guardians had a chance to maybe get back into this thing as Naylor rolls one just wide of the first base bag, and he's still hanging in there on a 2-2 count. I'll tell you, this pitcher Hill for San Diego works at a ridiculously fast pace. It seems like this guy is always in motion. Uh, So while uh, Naylor continues to battle... Let's talk. Let's talk about this seventh inning. Heck, this is a Guardians podcast. I'm sure the San Diego Padres podcasters are talking about all these home runs, but this is a Guardians podcast. Let's talk about this seventh and eighth inning. Because uh the Guardians do a good job. Ramirez uh finally, finally is able to handle a Michael Waka changeup. Uh Walker was being nasty with that changeup all night. Ramirez finally sits back on it and shoots it up the middle, 97.4, as Naylor lifts one into left field, and that is the final out. We now have a final, 5 nothing. San Diego wins. Uh, so Ramirez gets this thing going with a, uh, with a single up the middle. Naylor uh, flies out, but Bell shoots a single into right field at 104.8. He even surprised himself, I think, that he kept this one fair, Uh, and Ramirez goes first to third, so it's looking like a situation where the Guardians can score and get back into this game. Remember, in the seventh inning, it's a 4-0 game, right? And they're even joking on the broadcast about Andres Jimenez hitting a home run in this situation. Like, we need a home run to climb back into this game. So Jimenez is up, it's an interesting bat against Waka, who is clearly uh, running out of gas. He, he's facing probably his last batter. He was, up, uh, he was up around 90 pitches when the at-bats started. Uh, let's go to the actual matchup here, because the first pitch of this bat is fascinating. Uh, again, the changeup against the lefties. All night, Waka has been using the changeup against the lefties, and he starts Andres Jimenez off with a changeup right down the middle of the plate. And I'm thinking to myself, that was the pitch. That, that was the pitch. If you wanted a pitch in this at-bat to swing at, that was the pitch. And you had to have been thinking change-up, right? He'd used so many change-ups against us on this night. Was it his most, I'm going back to his player breakdown page, it was his most used pitch. He threw it 34 times, only 23 four-seam fastballs. So you had to be thinking change-up, right? But instead he lets one go, Right down the middle. Now, what happens is Waka tries to go fastball changeup, fastball changeup, and can't hit with anything else. So he ends up walking them and walking the bases loaded. So, you know, on paper, it's a productive at bat for Andres Jimenez. You know, loads the bases up, you know, moves another runner into scoring position. Uh, you know, doesn't doesn't go out of the zone and chase anything from Waka. But I still think of any pitch in this in this inning that was going to create havoc that could have been a big hit, uh, and driven in some runs, it was that first pitch changeup that he looks at. So, obviously, he wasn't thinking changeup, uh, when he went up there to the at bat. And the other problem is this now sets the bases loaded for Miles Straw. Now, he's got he doesn't have many left handed options sitting there on the bench. They bring in Stephen Wilson, who apparently has been one of the most dominant relievers uh, for the Padres and a big strikeout guy. And uh, he's up there facing straw. He's got Freeman on the bench. He's got Arias on the bench. I mean, Fry and Cam Gallagher, you're probably not going to. So doesn't really have a left-handed option. Honestly, I would have, you know, Arias went up and just hacked like crazy in the first game of this series. Remember, struck out on three straight pitches, all swinging. So, I mean, have would have been interesting to see Freeman get in at bat in place of Miles Straw here. Like, what are you keeping Miles Straw in this game for with bases loaded in the seventh inning? Tell me the reason, Terry Francona. Tell me the reason you're sticking with Miles Straw in this situation. And I went over to Baseball Reference, and I looked at some Miles Straw numbers here. And there's nothing, nothing good uh, from Miles Straw here. Uh, with runners in scoring position, he's a 200 hitter with a 548 OPS. It's a 48 OPS plus, which means worse than 50% less, 52% worse than league average. 48 OPS plus is pretty terrible. Um yeah, it's just with bases loaded. He hasn't had that many opportunities. Look, he's only had three plate appearances, but he hasn't done it. He's a, a walk uh, is it? He got he got a walk. No hits yet with bases loaded on the season. Uh, with uh, with the uh, high leverage situations, which bases loaded in the seventh inning of a four run game, it's a high leverage situation. If you get a hit here. You significantly impact that win probability line, though that number changes significantly. So in high leverage situations, he's only a 220 hitter with a 546 OPS. Again, terrible. A 49 OPS plus in the seventh inning, he's only a 200 hitter with a 567 OPS with a 60 OPS plus. So he's bad against relief pitchers, which this is. They they go to their bullpen just for this at bat. Well, I mean, not j- obviously for the rest of the game, starting in this at bat. He's a 216 hitter against relief pitchers with a 585 OPS and a 68 OPS plus. Are you seeing a pattern here? There's not one single number that tells you that Miles Straw should have been in there in the seventh inning with the bases loaded against the, one of the best relief pitchers on the Padres team. You had no advantage, and it was a lousy, absolutely terrible at bat. Just never once in this at bat did Miles Straw number one look confident, look look like he was up for the situation. And now I know he always kind of, you know, has a calm, cool demeanor. But not once did he ever look like he was ready for this situation. Uh, look like he was into the moment or ready for the moment. And he uh, takes a sweeper for a called strike for strike one, right down the middle of the plate. Uh, Lays off a fastball away, pulls a fastball away, and then it's all sweepers. Takes another sweeper for a called strike, uh, on the outside corner, down and away, uh, takes a sweeper right off the edge of the plate to the point where Steven Wilson was literally walking off the mound, uh, but doesn't get the call. It was just a little bit off the plate, and then comes back, goes back to that down and away corner, and hits it again, and this time, Myles Straw flails doesn't even make a competitive swing can't even foul it off to stay in the at-bat just flails at the pitch to strike out with the bases loaded so uh yeah do you think i'm a little upset think i'm a little upset about this at-bat and about this seventh inning then in the eighth inning he does pinch hit arias but this time for will brennan against a left-handed relief pitcher didn't we go over this yesterday that his splits are terrible? Now, it's not that Brennan is much better. I looked at Brennan's splits against left handed pitching, and he doesn't get many at bats. He's only had 32 at bats compared to uh, 32 plate appearances compared to 142 plate appearances against right handed pitching. So he doesn't have many opportunities, but he's only hitting 188 with a 438 OPS against left, you know, in a left on left matchup, which is still better than Gabriel Arias as a right-handed batter against a left-handed pitcher. But he pinch hits Arias here in this situation, and actually draws a walk, gets on base. Okay, I can't argue with the result. The only thing I'll argue with here is now that brings up Mike Zanino. And frankly, in the eighth inning of a game, what is Zanino doing in there? Zanino was a disaster this entire game. And he is a disaster again. i I think he did have one hard-hit ball earlier in the game. Uh, yeah, he lined out at 108.1 to uh, Tatis in right field. Uh, you could have had at, you know, bat at the beginning of this inning and then pinch hit Arias for Zanino. There's no reason for Zanino to be in here. And what does he do? Grounds into a double play. An easy double play to short. Chops one right to him and uh, completely shuts down any hope. Of getting back into this game. So yeah. So I, I I don't know what Francona is thinking with this lineup. I don't understand. Uh, I, I don't understand what Mike Zanino is still doing here. We talk about it every day now it feels like. You watch him in this game. He you know it's credited as a wild pitch from Sam Henches. But any catcher worth their salt should have blocked that ball. And was Especially with a runner on third base so Tatis doubles um, this is in the uh, in the sixth inning Tatis doubles steals third base because he's just running wild on, uh, on Zanino not for a second thinks Zanino can throw him out so he steals and then on the wild pitch which Zanino should have blocked you have to keep that ball in front of you with a runner on third base comes in and scores the only run that's not scored by a solo home run. Now, would it have mattered? Because Juan Soto hits a home run uh, a pitch or two later. You know, who knows? Butterfly effect. Who knows what changes with that runner still on third base. But Zanino's just killing me. Tatis steals on him late in the game. Uh, When he gets a hit, when he walks in the eighth inning, he takes second base. Why not? Uh, Zanino's not going to throw you out? Just absolutely Absolutely just killing, killing the Cleveland Guardians here. Um, I don't understand what Zanino is still doing here. I don't. It's 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 so bad. It's so bad. Defensively, offensively, it's so bad. So uh that I guess we should continue to talk about the Padres offense because that was that was it tonight. I mean, I passed out in the 5th and 6th inning of this game. I, t- I took a little game nap. Took a little game nap in the 5th and 6th inning. I think my my wife came down and found me sleeping on the couch in the 6th. She's like, "Oh, man, that's where you are. Okay." I was like, "Yeah, that's okay. I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I can, I can I can finish this game." I don't know why I did. I don't know why I stayed up and finished this game. I, I absolutely Completely uninteresting game from Cleveland's perspective. From San Diego, every star on their team, except for Bogarts maybe, got a home run. All the stars were out for the San Diego Padres. Uh, Tatis gets a home run. Juan Soto gets a home run. Manny Machado gets a solo home run. Nelson Cruz, who pinch hit in the middle of the game for Matt Carpenter, Even he, in the eighth inning, at 40-plus years old, gets a solo home run. So, all the stars, all the usual suspects for the San Diego Padres go yard. The crowd was rocking for San Diego. They They had a packed house, and, I mean, they were riding every moment, every... Ball that looked like it could drop. Every hard-hit ball, they were... You could feel the wave of emotion go through the crowd. The the crowd was into it. They were vocal. They were into it. It was a hot crowd in San Diego uh, for this game. And they were rewarded with a bunch of home runs. Uh, So, yeah. So, the location of some of these home runs, it's interesting. Savali doesn't pitch terrible. He just really has to work hard and can't even get through four innings it's a weird night for Aaron Savali three and two-thirds innings pitched only gives up five hits though only gives up two runs gives up four walks none of them cost him none of them ends up with seven strikeouts mostly on cutters and uh, gives up two solo home runs on 95 pitches to get through three and two-thirds. And he's only hard hit three times. So it's a really weird night for Savali. But, that, I mean, walks and strikeouts will take you deep into counts. And so you really run up your pitches that way. And uh, to the point where you can't even get through four innings. Uh, a bizarre night for Aaron Savali. Um, so let's take a look at those home runs. Just, you know, what were the pitches? What were the situations here? Um, you know, three, uh, two of them given up by, uh, Aaron Savali. The first one is, uh, the first batter of the game, Fernando Tatis, and it's on a 3-1 count and he must've just been hunting fastballs because this pitch is frankly up and in. It's off, the. it's out, out of the strike zone. It's off the plate in. And he turns on this thing. Uh only hit it 94.1. Uh Kwan leaps at the wall and it just gets over his glove. You know, a fan stuck their glove out and actually made a really nice catch on it. But watching the replay back and they showed us a few times, I I don't think Kwan would. It's not like it would have come down into Quan's glove if the fan's glove wasn't there. And, that, and the fan didn't reach over the wall, so it wasn't fan interference or anything like that. It's just Squan was so close And he timed it very well It was just I mean just out of his grasp Uh So Tatis gets one there In the third inning On a 1-2 count Frankly he just hangs a curveball To Manny Machado Who is a, a great curveball hitter And uh it is up Up above the belt And Machado is able to lean back And drive it at 101.6 So that's just a mistake from Savalle right there. The one Tatis got, I, hey, credit to Tatis. Again, fastball hunting probably, and uh, was able to drive that thing. Uh, Machados, that's definitely a mistake from Savalle right there. Uh, Henches would give up the next solo home run to Juan Soto. This is after the wild pitch uh, on a 2-1 uh, count. Challenges him left on left. Challenges him with a fastball. Probably wanted to get this pitch more inside. It just... It's right on the border between what I would consider middle down and what I would consider down and in. Uh, but it's up enough that Juan Soto is able to go down and drive it at 102 miles per hour for his solo home run. And then Xavion Curry in the eighth inning facing Nelson Cruz. And, God, Cruz has been doing this to us forever. It doesn't matter who he's with, right? Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Seattle. It doesn't matter. He Man, this guy hits home runs against us and uh he gets a fastball that's frankly middle of the plate up at the letters and he crushes it at 111.9 miles per hour so whoo man uh i normally normally we would say a solo home run doesn't do that much damage right It, it probably doesn't move that win probability line as much as you think it does but when you get four of them in a game, yeah, that is a lot of damage. So I good on the Guardians pitchers for not giving up a home run, you know, especially Savali after one of those walks. Right? Four walks could have been really bad news for Aaron Savali. But good on him for at least limiting the damage in that way. But uh it doesn't it doesn't get good uh for it doesn't get much better for the Guardians bullpen. Like they like I said, everybody kind of gave up some home runs on this one. Uh, other things I want to look at while we're on the illustrator page here. It's a little bit strange with the count breakdowns. Um, you know I love looking at this. I love seeing if pitchers get ahead. Michael Walker did for the most part. Um, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine batters. He starts out 1 and 0. 5, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 batters start out 0 and 1. So he does start ahead. Gets a ton of guys to a one-two count. Doesn't have that many strikeouts in the game. Uh, let me see here. I think it was only like five strikeouts in the game uh, for Waka. So as dominant as he was, yeah, five strikeouts in six and two-thirds innings pitched. Only gives up four hits, no runs, one walk. Uh, so pretty efficient day, but doesn't finish off a lot of sh- with at bats with a lot of strikeouts. But does get a ton of hitters. In counts in his favor. Uh, Gets seven, eight, nine, uh, 10 guys to an 0 2 count. Wow. And then gets, uh, so even when he falls, you know, when he evens it up at one and one, he still stays ahead. He gets six, uh, 11, uh, 14. Sorry to do math on the fly here. 15, 16 guys end up in a 1 2 count. That's a lot of guys that are. Behind in the count and having to, you know, take some protect swings and uh, not swinging at pitches that they want to swing at. So Waka really does a good job of keeping the count in his favor. Savali doesn't. Uh, he starts a ton of guys with a first pitch fast, with a first pitch strike. Uh, five guys, only five batters that he faces start 1 0. Meanwhile, 7, 8, 9, uh, 13, 14 guys. 14 guys. He starts 0-1, and only three guys make it to 0-2. So, so what does that tell you? 11 guys make it back to 1 and 1. And from there, it's a crapshoot. Uh, he's either you know falling behind 2-1. Uh yeah, so uh he never really had the count in his favor against anybody, worked a lot of deep counts. Uh, how many guys, six, seven guys get to full counts. So that's how you end up with a lot of walks and a lot of strikeouts. Uh, so Savali never really gets the count in his favor in many of these at-bats. So it's still, I mean, it's nice that he's striking out all these guys. Uh, that's good to see. Like I said, uh, most of the strikeouts came on cutters, uh, five strike and all lefties. Savali, seven strikeouts, all left-handed batters uh four cutters basically at the top of the strike zone uh one cutter uh middle away to Trent Grisham he just challenges him with a cutter middle away uh, uh one splitter down and away to Juan Soto that he gets on a wave at in the first inning and then a curveball to Juan Soto in the third inning on a 3-2 count that he gets for a called strike so um yeah uh so it's it's a Strange day for Savali. The fact that, that you know, he was getting his strikeouts. But, man, a mistake. When a mistakes turn into home runs, uh, that's a powerful weapon for the San Diego Padres. And it's something the Guardians, we've talked about many times, don't do. So, uh, it's actually decent. It's a 31% whiff rate for Aaron Savali. It's a 32% CSW overall. Uh it's decent stuff. They fo- frankly they fouled off more pitches than they even put in play. But there were those two. But there were those two. Uh those two solo home runs. Uh and same thing on the other side. It's a little weird for Michael Waka. I would think with all, you know, how off balance he had the Guardians hitters all night, that the, the uh, CSW numbers would be higher, but it's only a 24% whiff rate. For Waka, it's uh, a 29% CSW total. Uh, Yeah, they put 18 balls in play. Uh, 87.8 average exit velocity, so maybe that's the difference right there. What was the average exit velocity off Savali? 93.1. So maybe that was a little bit of a difference right there. Uh, So yeah, Waka absolutely uh, in control on the night. He does give up 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 hard hit balls. You know, there'd be a few situations where his defense would help him out. I think it was the fifth inning where there was like back-to-back kind of lunging, sliding catches uh, from his outfield. Uh, So they helped him out with a little bit of defense. Yes, in the fifth inning, Bell flew out to uh, Grisham in center field. And then Tatis uh, got Miles Straw, a line out from Miles Straw uh, in right field to end the inning. So, uh, some good defense did back up, uh, Michael Waka. Uh, they also had, I mean, they had, there were a bunch of defensive moments. They had to strike him out, throw him out to end the uh, second inning where they caught Brennan stealing and struck out Sanino. So yeah, Sanchez, can you believe it? Gary Sanchez behind the plate threw him out. So, uh, they had a couple of good, uh, defensive plays for, heck in the ninth inning right there as, as I was getting ready to hit record, Fernando Tatis threw Ahmed Rosario out at first base. He took too big of a turn at first base, and got nailed coming back to the bag. So just defensive plays all over the place for the San Diego Padres. So I think that's all my thoughts on this one. Uh, Like I said, the Padres really kind of dominated all aspects of this game. and It's it's a rough one for your Cleveland Guardians. So I'm going to wrap it up right there. Uh, We got to hope for better days ahead. I mean, San Diego's making us look really bad. I don't know if it's just moving to the West Coast or what it is, but this team does not look like the same team that was fighting against Houston. I thought in the seventh inning, I thought they had a chance in that seventh inning, and I would have loved for Francona to make some different decisions. But he, struck with, he stuck with Miles Straw, and he paid the price for it. So MVP on the day, I mean, frankly... If I'm being honest with you, the MVP on this day is Fernando Tatis Jr. I I I know I don't play this card very often, but nobody on the Guardians really showed up for this game. Nah, no, nobody is sitting at their locker going, "Well, at least I had a good game." Nah, I, maybe De Los Santos goes an inning and a third, no hits, no runs, no walks, a strikeout on 16 pitches. Maybe, but yeah. I mean, for, for Fernando Tatis Jr. was the star of this game. I mean, three hits, two doubles, and a home run. Uh, the, the the stolen base, the the coming home on the pass ball, the defensive plays out on right field. This was Tatis's game. So, uh, I I don't play this card very often. But MVP on the day was definitely Fernando Tatis Jr. All right. Uh, that is all my thoughts on this one. I did say that I was saving an email. And uh, we got a really nice email from our friend Andrew and uh, he remember he had that Josh Naylor story he wanted to share with us. So he emailed in a day or two ago and shared that story with us. So uh, he said, uh, I want to take a moment on an off day and share two impressive things about Josh Naylor one on the field and one off the field on the field. Naylor has impressed me with how much he's raised his batting average over the course of the season. At one point, I thought he dipped below 200. He's now batting 282 and looking into his splits in the last few months, they look like this. April, he was a 208 hitter. May got it up to 293. June, he's a 429 hitter so far. Uh, I think that's before this series started. Uh, Wow. Talk about not getting defeated and working hard to turn things around. Incredible. Uh, I'll just say on to that note, Andrew, um, I look at, I think I said this yesterday. If, if you're making me pick who's the all-star representative from the Cleveland guardians this year, because we're probably only getting one with, with how this team is playing. I think everyone in the American league central is getting one. Uh, it would probably be Josh Naylor. Uh, he's, he's been that good. Uh, So Andrew continues, off the field, Josh Naylor is a man of character. I took my son to a game, and we were standing near the third base line attempting to get some autographs. There was a line of kids that Josh was working down, signing all their baseballs. My son was at the end of the line. He got to my son, looked him in the eye, and said, I'll be right back. I wondered where he was going. It was national anthem time. He went and stood with his team for the anthem, then proceeded to come back, sign my son's baseball, and then take the field to play first base. How awesome is that? In a day and age when professional athletes can be very arrogant and untouchable, I want to sing Naylor's praises for being a man of his word and a man who knows the power he has to make a kid's day, or summer, or childhood for that matter. So there's my thoughts. I thought it'd be something different and interesting on an off day to share. Thanks again for your show, Andrew. Uh, so, Andrew, yeah, I, you know, I don't do d- uh, shows on off days, so I saved this email uh, for tonight and that is a, that is a great story. It really is. Uh, I love to hear that. Uh, Josh Taylor does seem like that kind of guy. Uh, you know, frankly, a lot of the Guardians do. There are some high, high character guys on this team that seem like they really care about those fans. You know, I, I'm not there myself. My my son's a little too young for that. We haven't taken him to his first game yet, but I am looking forward to those days of you know trying to. Teach him how to position himself to get an autograph and things like that, and and seeing what players he gets attached to. Just the way you know we had our favorite players when when we were kids. I when I was a kid, it wasn't our Bell, it wasn't Jim Tomy, it wasn't Kenny Lofton, it was Carlos Baerga. Carlos Baerga was my guy. Something about watching. I love the play when the second baseman. Fields the ball going to his right behind the bag and then has to make that jump throw back across their body um, to get the runner at first. I, I just loved some. I loved the defensive plays that a second baseman has to make. They just looked fun and athletic. And so for some reason, I locked in as a kid on Carlos Baerga. He was my dude until you know, we traded him to the Mets. Oh, man, that hurt. Uh, I think I moved to Sandy LmR Jr. after that. I think Sandy became kind of my guy. In the late later half of the '90s, Um, that's right. I was a kid. I was a child of the '90s. If if I'm dating myself there for some of our older listeners who are (laughs) who are thinking back to their favorite players from the you know '70s and '80s, Um, so yeah, so that's really cool that Naylor did that for your son, and I'm so glad he got the autograph Uh, because you're right. Those moments absolutely uh, are game changers uh, for our kids. So thank you, Andrew, for sharing. I really appreciate that. Uh, Marlon uh, in Birmingham emailed in as usual. And Marlon, I'd read your email, but that was the episode. He he literally hits everything we just talked about. Uh, frustrated with Tito. The whole thing is about Tito. Uh, about the seventh inning, pinch hitting for straw. About the eighth inning with Zanino hitting the double play. Everything uh, we talked about in this episode is his email. So, Marlon, I appreciate your enthusiasm keep it coming, but I think we've already got this one covered. So that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. Look, it's it's a tough loss. 5-nothing. It was a brutal game. You just got to shake it off, just like a like a relief pitcher, like a closer who maybe blows a save. As fans, we got to shake it off. We got to come back tomorrow with fresh minds, fresh hearts, ready for another one. They uh, they switched up their rotation, so we're not facing you, Darvis, We're facing Weathers in this one, um, and he's going up against Logan Allen. So it's a lefty-on-lefty matchup, and uh, we'll see what decisions Terry Francona makes in that situation. So the final again, 5 nothing, San Diego. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.